Good morning. Really glad you're here this morning. Um, we we have this is a beautiful day, isn't it? This is this is this is when I'm challenged to keep your attention because the snow-capped mountains loom right outside the wind the the doors there that we can see through. Um, I've really appreciated uh, being here in this place for the last 12 years uh, as Church in the Valley has been here. We're, we're moving on March 25th, and so we're going through a transition, and uh, we're getting ready, all the teams and everybody's pitching in to get ready to, to make the most of our opportunity in Ontario Ranch Area at Woodcrest Junior High School. Uh, it's, it's on the western edge of Ontario Ranch where the Lord has led us to, to move. And so uh, I just wanted to remind you that that's happening as we celebrate the beautiful place this is the last few weeks that we're here uh, and, and get ready for, for that move. Um, the, the new place is going to feel, it's going to be a transition. Transitions are you grieve, then you feel awkward, and then you get settled into home. And that, that's, that's what we're going to be working through. Uh, right now, we're in the grief mode. This is awesome. <laughs> and uh, we've really enjoyed it. But we're moving toward the getting settled in mode eventually and really looking forward to what God's going to do uh, as the opportunity presents itself in Ontario Ranch. We've been looking at uh, different passages in the book of 1 Peter, and what we've been doing is looking at particularly what God had Peter write down about our identity in Christ. And the very first week, we looked at a couple of phrases. Uh, One phrase was, we're, we're elect exiles. And we talked about how an exile is a temporary resident in a foreign land and how really a better translation is chosen expat, chosen expatriate, somebody who's out of their own country. As believers, what we find in First Peter is we've been born into a new family. So that gives us a whole new identity. In the next passage we looked at, we saw how we're born again into this family, and we have this tremendous inheritance that shapes the way that we approach life right here and now. Billy Graham passed away this week. And, uh, well, last week. Was it last week? Anybody know? I think it was last week, sorry. Jumped ahead there, or jumped behind or something. Um, Now, he was a man that God used to take the gospel message to Hundreds of thousands of people. It's incredible what God did through his life to extend the kingdom. And his attitude, I I ran across a quote uh, from him. And this quote expresses exactly what we've been talking about in this series. He says, my home is in heaven. I'm just passing through this world. That that was his perspective as as he lived this life. this is what we've been talking about. He, he knew he was an elect exile. He was temporarily living in a foreign place. Didn't expect to get everything out of that. Here's a billboard they put up in Nashville. Uh, gone home. 
that that really would uh, that's a great expression of how he felt. He he he's home. He he is there. His true home is in heaven. He knew that. And that that's that inheritance that's waiting for us. And the fact that we understand that we're only here for a little while, it it should shape the way we approach every aspect of our lives. We're in the middle of this series, and we've been gleaning insights from Peter, who was a fisherman when he met Jesus. He spent three years doing life with Christ. He spent time with Him they, all, all the time, uh, just going around watching Jesus live. And he was transformed by meeting Jesus, spending the time with Him over those three years. And then became a major leader in the movement Jesus launched. So we've been looking at, as I said, identity and how it impacts every aspect of our life. Today we're going to look at uh, how our identity in Christ impacts our attitude and our approach toward authority. Uh, you, you may have, you know, I'm sure in this room there's, there's quite a spectrum of attitudes toward authority, and it probably goes back to the very first authorities that we handled and dealt with and related to. Uh, but our relationship with authority and the way we respond to it has a major impact on our life's direction and determines to a great extent whether or not we're going to enjoy life and make progress toward the goals that we want to accomplish in our life. Do any of these pictures stir any emotions in you? Here's, here's a teacher. Looks like she's got a stern look on her face. Um... I, I don't know what's going on there, I can imagine. But, you know, teachers, you have a response to, to being in their classroom. They shape, maybe teachers from your past have shaped your attitudes toward authority in some way. Here's a pic, picture of some police officers moving through an area. Maybe, maybe you've been ticketed by an officer, you have a bad taste in your mouth, or uh, you... you the picture may startle you a little bit. You know, um, that happens. Here's a picture of a, a gavel and a judge. Maybe you've faced a judge in court or you've been on a jury. You have a certain opinion of judges in general. Here, here's a picture of the boss. Now, this guy was a goo. <laughs> this guy was a goofy, incompetent boss. But honestly, that may be your opinion of all bosses. Maybe, maybe you, you have that attitude toward them all. And then here's President Trump, and you likely have a strong response one way or the other to our current president. There's a spectrum of responses that people choose related to authority. Think for a moment about where you fit along these two extremes. I'm a rule follower. I'm a rule breaker. Think about where you are along those lines. Um, whether or not you're a rule follower or a rule breaker, the fact that you're a Christ follower should shape your attitude and approach to authority moving forward. That's what you find in First in Peter 
doesn't matter where you are natively. You know, we all land in different places. But what we're finding as we walk through this book that God had Peter write is that our commitment to follow Jesus Christ, and if you haven't yet committed your life to follow Christ, that's what it means to do so. Our commitment to follow Jesus Christ shapes our attitude and approach toward authority and the way that we live. It overrides our native tendency, whatever that native tendency is. Who we are in Christ, if it shapes our attitude and authority, the better life is. It goes better. It just it gets better and better as we learn to walk with God in the middle of our life. As a Christ follower, our response to authority shouldn't be t- tied to how we feel. It, it flows from who we are. Through Peter, God tells us Christ followers aim to do good for the authority God places over us. This is, this is our aim. This is not necessarily our native reflex in, in relating to authority. U.S. history began with a rebellion against authority. It was a rebellion for a good reason. Um, and one of the acts of colonial defiance that we hold up is the Boston Tea Party. It, it, it was an act of defiance against the British government who was being unjust. And we celebrate it as, as a milestone. But what this does in our minds and hearts sometimes is we begin to place a very high value on an adversarial stance toward authority. <laughs> it, it begins to mess with us as we do that. Because one of the things we take an adversarial stance is we've got to make sure that we're protected and we don't get ripped off. That's, that's, that's important to us. We, we make sure that. And so, over time... Even, even living in this country has caused us to sort of move one direction in our stance toward authority. Followers of Christ have a higher calling. What we've been talking about is it's, it, 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 who He is and who we are in Christ sets the pattern for the way that we live. And it it calls us higher than you, you know. You might be a U.S. citizen, but there's there's an identity more important than that. It's a follower of Jesus Christ, and He calls us to to live in a very specific, very helpful, important way. We'll find two themes woven through the guidance that we get from Peter on relating to authority: cooperation and respect. That Those are the two themes. And we're going to look at some guidance that Peter gives for relating to authority in three main arenas in life. Government, work, and, and family, marriage. Let's discover God's directions for relating to authority. Uh, first of all, toward government and any other legitimate authority, we're told to cooperate for the Lord's sake. This, this is the command. 1 Peter 2, 13, 14 says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him 
to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. The way God rules the world, now this, this, this puzzled me for a while. As I started, I, you know, you try, God runs the universe. How in the world does he pull that off? <laughs> and the way he's decided to do that is he, he rules the world through the authority that he puts in place from uh, the, the rulers or leaders of nations to bosses at work to heads of family. This is how God leads the world. This is how he runs the universe. If, if you lead a larger organization, either uh, in business or a nonprofit group or in church life, you lead that organization through uh, people who lead smaller groups or teams. This is what God does. This is the way He rules the world. He, he rules the world through its leaders. He, he puts them in place, and some are good, some are bad. Nero, it's interesting, Nero was the Roman emperor at this time. And he, he says, be subject for the Lord's sake to the emperor as supreme. And he, he was not a benevolent ruler, okay? Nero was a despicable guy. He, he used Christians as human tiki torches in his garden parties. It was horrible. And this is the context that Peter's writing in. And so Peter is telling us to respect the person in the position and trust God to work out his good plan through that person. That that is not an easy thing to do. Their plan might be evil, but God's plan is good. And God has this ability Don't know exactly how, but he has the ability to weave his good plan in the lives of people who choose to follow him, no matter what kind of authority is over them. He uses it for his purpose in their lives. So in faith, we we can handle the present and the future with an upbeat attitude because of the truth of this passage. And the way God weaves his sovereign power to direct history with my own action and choices and the actions of the leaders and authorities over me, it's a mystery. I don't know how he does that, but he does. Notice here it says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. You, you may have a negative reaction to the command, be subject. After all, we're a democracy. We live in a free country. We're not subject to any ruler. That's a part of being a United States citizen. But what he's saying here is that human institutions are structures. There's in, in the Greek word this was originally written in. The institution, the word institution has this idea of there's a structure that we create in order to accomplish a purpose in different organizations that we develop. It's an institution. It's a structure. And what happens is people create structures to accomplish a purpose. The command here is to work together to accomplish God's purpose for that, for that institution, for that structure. 
You know, it's like a body. A body needs structure. It needs a skeleton to move. And it's the same with organizations. It needs structure to get moving. Who I am in Christ shapes the way I relate to the structure of any group or organization I'm a part of because my attitude, my actions, and my words influence others' opinion of my God. For the Lord's sake. I'm subject for the Lord's sake. I bear His name. I'm one of His children. I'm a son or daughter of God. Made possible through Jesus Christ. And so, as I relate to the authority in the structures I'm a part of, I want to honor Him most of all. That trumps everything. So, I choose to be subject. We're told to be subject to authority. This is a military word in the Greek. It's hupotasso is, is the word H-U-P-O means literally under. Tasso uh, means to arrange. So this is literally what he's saying is as you relate to the authority over you, you, you Arrange yourself under the authority to cooperate with them to fulfill the purpose of the group. Now, as Christ followers, we, we don't, there are limits to our obedience to the authority over us. One of the limits is definitely if they command us or lead us to do something that is, um, is, we got a light show going on. Um, I don't know what that means for what I'm saying here, but um, <clears throat> anyway, I hope you'll just be able to pay attention whether or not the light show is going on. Um, but anyway, um, as as we 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 never do anything if we're led to disobey what God has already said in Scripture. So that that's out out of line, and. We also want to work as we arrange ourselves under the authority. We want to cooperate in a way that that leads the that helps the leader accomplish God's purpose. And there there are all kinds of facets to that. But our our problem is usually not being led to disobey what God's already said. Our our problem is generally I'd rather do it another way. Or that wasn't my idea. Or, you know, good try, but you show me. You know, we, we got the boss with from the office. And, you know, we think he's a little incompetent. If he comes up with a good plan, I'll get in on that plan. But until he comes up with a good plan, I'm just going to do my thing here. So, disobeying God is not usually our problem in our world. Um, but to arrange ourselves... Under the authority over us, it means I know my place and I take my place. I arrange myself under the authority. And if I don't, it leaves a negative impression on the God I serve, whose name I bear. As we participate in various organizations, we have a role to play in the structure. We need to know it and we need to play it well. One, one role... Uh, is to support the leader, to be cooperative, to support them, um, to do what we can to help them. 
And this whole structure idea, I think, is where we get that phrase, they're a pillar of the community. You ever heard that phrase? He's, he's a pillar or she's a pillar of this community. It's because they're supporting the structure. And, and this, is, this is true. This is how we contribute. If we support the leader and the structure, God's reputation is honored. Our leaders blessed and the institution's purpose moves forward. One other thing about the way that phrase be subject is written in the Greek. It's in the middle of a passive voice. So I'm not much for grammar. But when something's written in Greek in the middle passive voice, what it means is it's not something that's done to you. It's something you voluntarily choose. So we, we voluntarily choose to be subject to the authority over us. This is what we do as we follow Christ. You aim to do good to those over you by eager cooperation. 1 Peter 2:15 through 17 goes on to say, For this is the will of God. This is what God wants. If you're wondering what God wants for you today or tomorrow, as you get up and get ready to go to work, this is the will of God, that you arrange yourself under the authority over you you look out for their interests, and you look out for the interests of the organization as well. This is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorant talk of foolish people, or the ignorance of foolish people. So what has been happening in Rome and the surrounding areas at this time was Christians were being slandered for different things, and Peter's what he's doing is he's coaching them on how to turn the tide of public opinion, or at least those who are interested in following Christ, that God works in their hearts. He's trying to show them, how do you, in a hostile environment, how do you begin to change minds? How does God use us to do that? How does he begin to use us to really help people turn the corner from a hostile attitude toward Christ and His people to a positive attitude. How does that happen? This is, this is one way. It's the will of God that we do good for the leaders over us, <clears throat> that we aim to do so. Live as people who are free, He says, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. If you want to know God's will and your response to authority, mutiny is not an option on the menu. It's just not. <laughs> Rebellion is not on that list either. We're free to respond however we want to the authority over us. God has built freedom into our makeup as human beings. We're free to choose. But Christ followers are called to use their freedom for God's purpose, to serve Him. And that's what we, this is one way we do it. The word honor in this passage means give a high value to others. That's what it means. You, you give them a, a very high value. Every human being on the face of the earth has a very high value before God. We're made in His image. And so, 
we, we honor everyone in the way that we relate to them. Also, in addition, we honor the leader of nations because of their position. We may have an opinion about how they're handling their position, but we honor them. God put them there. That's the perspective you find in Scripture. We may not agree with their political agenda, and they, they may be evil, and we may need to fight against the evil. But we still honor them because of the position they're in. The position of authority God's placed them in. In the work arena, so that's, that's just how do we relate to authority in general, specifically the government. Um, in the work arena, our goal is to develop grace-filled working relationships. 1 Peter 2, 18-20 says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the unjust, for this is a gracious thing. Interesting phrase. For this is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Now, let's face it. Unfair treatment is one of our major concerns and fears when we arrange ourselves under a boss. What if they take credit for the work I've done? What if, what if, what if they use me and don't reward me? What if they... They just take complete advantage of me as I cooperate with them. We tend to have this barrier, adversarial barrier. And fear can morph into animosity because we're, we start trying to make sure we get our due from the boss. As a follower of Christ, we should never use the unjust actions of the boss as an excuse to rebel. Or suffer for it. And we're going to look more about uh, about that in a, in a little bit. But um, this is our role. So in in our world, uh, in our country, uh, we're we're not servants. We serve a contract. We have a contract, a relationship set up with our employer. And if if we believe it's unfair, we have the freedom to move somewhere else. But what we don't have the freedom to do as a Christ follower, or what we're commanded to do as a Christ follower, is stay there and rebel. So we, we, have, to, we have to think this through. Um, in the family arena, First Peter says we should aim to build beautiful marriage relationships. There's a power and attractive beauty when a couple builds their marriage God's way. I, I used to be a little nervous about, you know, even reading what the Bible says about the marriage relationship. Um, and so I would, I would try to explain it, you know, what God meant by, <laughs> by the phrases he uses in the passage and in the one we're about to look at. 
But I, I've learned that I'm doing a disservice to my congregation and the people who are listening if I try to explain away what God originally intended. Because this is how life works best. What we see here is the way it really works. And I think the pushback to the biblical approach to marriage in our society is based on stereotypes. Stereotypes of what it means that maybe go back to the 50s or some other era. They're stereotypes. So what I want to encourage you to do as we read through this passage, throw out the stereotypes of what it means and just listen to what the passage is saying. 1 Peter 3, 1-4. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands so that, and the word really could be translated be subject, same word, hupatasso. So in the same way, be submissive to your husbands so that, If any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight context of this book, remember, is you're in a hostile environment and you're trying to influence people to investigate what it means to follow Christ. This is the context for this comment as well. And there are other comments that's not the context of in marriage. But this passage applies the same principles that we've been looking at to marriage. According to God's design, men are the leaders in family life. This means God holds them responsible for leading the family in a godly way that honors Him. But what these, do, these verses show us is how wives can influence their husbands for the good. Those husbands who need to be won over. If you want to win over a husband... You do that by voluntarily arranging yourself under them and their leadership. This this applies to trying to help somebody who doesn't follow Christ. If if you're married to a husband that doesn't follow Christ, a little hostile toward him, this this applies to that or really anything. (laughs) I mean, if you really want to influence your husband, this is what you do. You arrange yourself under their leadership. A wife who respects her husband and approaches him with this in mind, does her part to make the marriage beautiful. The key words are cooperation and respect. The beauty flows out of a relationship full of cooperation and respect. Now, look at the commands to husbands. 1 Peter 3.7 Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner, and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now, when it says, respect them as the weaker partner, I'm, maybe bells and whistles went off in your brain. You're like, oh no, that's, that's so chauvinistic. But it's just a reference to the fact that men 
are typically stronger than than women um, physically. And, you know, there are women who could beat the tar out of me. But as a rule, um, men, the strongest man in the world is going to be stronger than the strongest woman in the world. That's what this is a reference to. Um, a, wise, a husband, a wise husband, makes his marriage a thing of beauty by showing consideration and respect. Good men want to make their wife happy. Not above God, but nonetheless. So he considers her as he makes decisions and leads toward the right things. Now, relationships are get messed up these days. I think from the beginning of time they got messed up. So there are all kinds of questions and situations where you really need God's help and wisdom and guidance in this. But as a rule, this is the way it flows. A man should lead his wife by showing consideration and respect. One of the reasons is God takes it personally. And your prayers are hindered when you don't. You disrespect your wife. You show you have a lack of consideration for her. God's not listening. There's a block between you and him because she's his daughter. There's a saying I've recently heard a comedian quote: "Happy wife, happy life." There's a lot, a lot of truth to that. <laughs> but I would also say, "Happy husband, happy life." If you're in a happy marriage, life life can be really good. It's a thing of beauty. And Peter's showing us how to, how to how to live that out. You aren't going to have a happy marriage through self-focus, self-interest, by being selfish. You you have to love one another, be patient, play the role God has given you, and show respect to one another. God's showing us how to enjoy marriage. And to make it a thing of beauty to behold. Common what if scenario that we run in our minds is connected to injustice. I mentioned this before, but Peter shows us to follow Christ's example when leadership is unjust. What, what, What if I do my part and cooperate wholeheartedly and I'm ripped off by those in power? What what? What do I do? Questions answered clearly by the one we follow. 1 Peter 2, 21-24 For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For the most part, I want to let this passage speak for itself. But when Peter is telling us that Christ is our example, the Greek word used there literally means to copy something for imitation. So the, the, word, the word was used for, for these. You, you remember these from elementary school? 
where you, you, have, you have the example of the way it's supposed to be written, even the direction to take your pen, and then you practice. That's, that's what, that's the, the literal word that's used here is this, this kind of thing. It's a word for this, this copying, the letters to practice writing. The idea here is to copy Christ as you would copy letters when you're first learning to write. It takes practice. You keep your eye on the example and you focus on tracing. You stay within the lines. You keep practicing until the tracing allows you to write it the same way. This is the command. The first thing we learn from Jesus and that we practice tracing is to never excuse wrongdoing as we face injustice. It's never an excuse to do wrong. 1 Peter 2, 22 and 23, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. Injustice is never an excuse to do wrong. It's never an excuse to sin. That's lesson number one from the one we follow. The next thing Jesus did in the face of injustice is to leave the outcome to God. Jesus faced the ultimate injustice. He was the only perfect person who ever lived on the face of the earth. He was crucified as a common criminal. Here's what he did. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. If you entrust yourself to God, you will never be ripped off. This is the shield of faith. God will not rip me off as I trust myself to Him. At work, in family life, we we get into conflict. There's friction. Very easy to try to defend yourself. It never goes well to try to defend yourself. But let God vindicate you. Be wise in the way you respond. It doesn't mean you just, you know, you don't, you don't think about it. You just mindlessly allow the people over you to do whatever they're going to do if it's unjust. But you think wisely, respect Him, and you act in a way that shows respect for those over you. And you trust yourself to God who will not rip you off. He will vindicate you. He, he will bring it about. He's in control. He works through just and unjust leaders. He works His purpose out in our lives. And that's a very difficult thing when uh, we have to trust Him to work one way or the other. We want to do right and not wrong. Because what credit is it to suffer for doing wrong? wrong? (laughs) It's no credit. That's no good. And that's not our calling as a Christ follower. We're called to live differently to set an example, to copy the one we follow. As the worship team comes back on stage, let's look at some next steps we could take. Here are some specific ones to to consider taking. Uh, First of all, memorize 1 Peter 2.20.24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to, uh, to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. This is the pattern. If, if we want to change and influence the people around us 
Somebody has to absorb injustice. And we're called, Jesus absorbed it on our behalf, we're called to absorb it as well. We need to wisely position ourselves not to take more than we, we need to. But we absorb it. And that's a gracious thing in the mind. In, in the mind. If we do that because we're mindful of God, it's a very gracious thing. And then the second step would be to ask God for forgiveness for blowing up toward a leader and clear it up with them. Or there may be something else God said to you, and I encourage you to take that step as well. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the truth we see in your word. And I I pray that, God, you would give us the faith to live in line with your truth and the principles you've laid out for us here. We ask for your help, God. We ask for your strength. We pray for your grace that you would fill us and lead us and guide us so that we could be used by you to lead others to know you as well and to experience the life that you've called us to. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.